0: We have weekly engaging conversations with today's most influential thought leaders and entrepreneurs as they discuss their successes, failures, tipping points, and other priceless information that you can apply immediately after listening. Now, here's your host, Doug Parker. And welcome to the show, good to have you right here. It is Ambitious Radio, hosted by our friend Doug Parker, talking about entrepreneurship and leadership while interviewing interesting people and what makes them ambitious you know the show wouldn't be possible without our sponsors, Grasshopper.com, the entrepreneur's phone system. You know, most of the time, small business owners need to personally guarantee any loans that their companies take out. That can be kind of tough to do if you have credit issues. So if you have less than perfect credit, go to RepairMyCreditNow.com for a free credit report evaluation. RepairMyCreditNow.com.
1: All right, welcome to the Ambitious Radio Network, and today we do have a fantastic guest. I'm always excited. Now, we've not had an attorney on the show just yet, but today we've got James Creedon of Creedon, oh, actually of Van Every Creedon, P-L-L-C, on the show, and, you know, he really is an expert when it comes to uh, a lot of things, and there's a lot of different attorneys out there that, that do, you know, have many different specialties, but... Um, one of the things that he specializes in, in is intellectual property. And so um, yeah, he's a partner at uh, Van Every Creed and P. LLC, where he plays a vital role in the creative process of business owners and uh, their businesses. And so it's a really interesting situation where um, you know, he takes the tools and, that that these, that these entrepreneurs come up with And actually brings those ideas to life. And so whether it's a unique novel or maybe a new craft beer or even a rocket engine, um, as as far out as that may seem, um, he really learns everything about the project and then becomes part of the team to make it happen. So he believes passionately in the power of ideas and these ideas, they change and push people to test their limits, ultimately changing their lives. And so um, You know, some of those ideas took him from riding freight trains across the country to watching the sunrise on Mount Kilimanjaro to running the New York City Marathon Ranger School and jumping out of perfectly good airplanes. James, welcome to the show. How are
2: you, sir? Well, Doug, thanks so much for the introduction. That's great. I am doing wonderful today. I'm happy to be here talking to you.
1: Well, right back at you. I mean, you are such an ambitious individual. And anytime I hear people jumping out of perfectly good airplanes, that makes me scratch my head a little bit. But, uh... I'll tell you what, man, that's that's uh, that's very impressive. So tell me what I missed about, you know, when I was talking about you in the intro, what I missed, what I leave out.
2: Well, I think you covered pretty much everything. I mean, what, what I'm really committed to is working with people who are trying to start their businesses or growing their businesses, helping them to maximize their potential and understand what the legal risks are that they face and understand that the law doesn't just have to be something that limits you. It can be something that empowers you. And by using the law and having good legal counsel, My partner and I can help you to grow your business, strengthen your business, and maximize the potential of growth that you have, not just in the next few months, but in the next few years.
1: Gotcha. Gotcha. So let, let's talk about this real quick. So I, I noticed that recently, you know, we were talking a few months ago and and ultimately you left the corporate life to start your own, your own law firm. And, you know, being an entrepreneur and, and kind of the pre-show, we were chatting just a little bit about the differences, about some of the little stuff you're having to do now that previously was taken care of maybe by the, the previous firm or whatever. But what what made you decide to make that leap?
2: Well, I think at the end of the day, for me what it was about was having the flexibility to shape my own future. You know, when you work for somebody else, it's you have this false sense of security as my partner Kathy likes to talk about. There's a false sense of security that by going in and checking in each day and playing the role you're supposed to play with your company that you then have the guarantee you'll have work in the next few weeks, next few months, next few years and you will have a steady life. But at the end of the day, your fate isn't really in your hands. You're placing your fate into the hands of someone else who employs you and what they choose to do with their business, where they want to focus, what they think a priority is. I decided that I was at the point in my life where I had some years of experience, not just professional experience, but life experience. I was ready to step out on my own and take charge of my own fate and say, whether I fail or whether I succeed, it'll be on my own merits and on my own efforts. And I was very lucky to find a wonderful business partner, Kathy Van Every, who also faced the same challenges. Coming from a, a very large company where she worked, had a lot of responsibility and a lot of experience, and she too had the moment of realization where she said, I want to go out and be in charge of my own fate, build my own business, build my own practice, and see what I can build with my own two hands. And so we're now working together. We just launched in January on January 4th of this year, and so far, we're doing great. And, and I have to say, I don't regret leaving my corporate life for a second. I'm doing better now personally, professionally, and financially than I was doing then. So for me, it's been 100% plus.
1: You know, that's always good to hear that. Now, one thing I'll tell you is there's always ups and downs, and every season kind of has beginnings, middles, and ends. And so it's great that you got a, a great start, but, um, you know, keep your head up, keep uh, trucking along there and doing those things, and, and uh, you know, just be prepared for, uh, things that for the unprepared, if you will. So, um, Now, have you always been entrepreneurial-minded and wanted to do your own thing, or was this something that just kind of popped up over the past few, uh, few years or so?
2: Well, I think I've always been independently-minded. Whether I was an entrepreneur or not, I would probably say I didn't even know what it meant to be an entrepreneur in the past. Uh, when I went to law school, I was in New York City, and the pressure in law school was to go and work at a large firm, and that's what I did. I got out and I began working at a firm that was over 100 years old, about 150 lawyers throughout the country. And my vision of what you do as a lawyer is you work for a large firm and you work your way up and eventually become partner. And that's the definition of success. And when I started working at that firm, I quickly found that I wasn't happy there. The culture didn't match up with my personality, with my independence of mind. And so as contrary as it may sound, I actually decided to leave my corporate life and join the Army, active duty, as an Army JAG officer. Now, I'm sure that many listeners would think, the last thing you think of when you think of independence of mind is going and joining the military. But in fact, as an officer in the military and as a JAG officer, which, I, what, which is what I was, I had a degree of responsibility and autonomy far above what I had in the corporate life. And it was there that I realized what my own potential was to shape my own fate. I had the chance to handle very important cases, very serious matters for the U.S. Army on all different levels, and in doing so, started to see that I could actually come up with innovative approaches and new ways of approaching problems, and I wanted to take that into the private sector. So after uh, four years in the Army, I left and I came over to Dallas and started working at a firm again. But It was a much smaller firm, and a firm that gave me the chance to grow and build and develop. And one of the opportunities that the firm gave me was to start mentoring small startup businesses at a location called The Works in McKinney. It's an entrepreneurship startup center. They provide guidance to entrepreneurs who are starting their businesses, including helping with business plans, legal issues, how to get investors, how to deal with finance issues. And I had the chance to become a mentor. And I have to tell you that the more time you spend around entrepreneurs, the more jealous you are of the energy, the drive, the enthusiasm that they have and I quickly got the bug and realized I want to be doing what they're doing, still sharing the same knowledge and experience but taking it a step further by making it my own. So slowly but surely I started talking to the entrepreneurs and I went from being a mentor to them offering legal advice to them mentoring me on what it means to start your own business. And Next thing I knew I was out on my own, ready to go. And like I said, it's only been two months, but so far it's going great.
1: You know that's great. It's it's always uh, important that you choose your words wisely because what you you know what you think you will eventually say, and what you say you'll eventually do. So you start thinking, hey, I want to be an entrepreneur, and boom, all of a sudden it happens to you. So, well, that is really cool. So so let's drill in just a little bit, kind of not necessarily personal, but just a couple uh, little bits of insight. So, what's one of the best pieces of advice that you've ever received?
2: Well, I think one of the best pieces of advice I've gotten is my family motto, which was come up, uh, my, my wife came up with a family motto. You know, We have two small kids, and we decided early on we wanted to pass on some values to them. And she said, well, the motto I've always kept in my mind is be a doer, not a sayer. And to me, that's been great advice that I think about every day. It's so easy to say you're going to do something and then not follow through on it. It's very easy to make commitments to people and not follow through. But it's also easy to make commitments to yourself that you don't follow through on. You'll say, I want to start a business, or I want to learn how to play this musical instrument, or I want to go on this vacation, and we never follow through because we get caught up in the day-to-day. And I've found that a key part to my success has come from not just my wife being there to support me, but also offering that insight day-to-day to be a doer, not a sayer. Be the person in life who goes out and does things and doesn't just talk about them. You can talk all you want day in, day out, but what really matters is putting one foot in front of the other and following through on your dreams. It's just like when I spoke with a a, a woman the other day who was looking at starting a small business. She had about two sentences worth of what her vision is, but she was very discouraged by the fact that there are so many steps going from A to Z and beyond to start your business. And my advice to her was, be a doer, not a sayer. Just start in the process. Start going step by step, actually doing the things, not just talking about them. And as you do the steps, the next steps will reveal themselves. And you'll soon find you're further down the path than you thought you could have been in a much shorter time than you thought was realistic.
1: You know, that's great information. It was funny. You know, we we had talked about that the other day, be a doer, not a sayer, and kind of the the, the show before the show, if you will. And so I was searching for it and googling it, trying to figure out who said that. And then, lo and behold, it's your wife. So that's probably why it's not <laughs> on the internet. So that's right. That that's great. Right. That is great. So, so as a family motto, um, it's "be a doer, not a sayer." You're instilling that in your children, and that's that is great. Uh, really great advice, and, and, and it's one of the things that you had put down as your favorite quote. So that's cool stuff. Now, as far as books go, I, I saw that Gilgamesh was your favorite book, but what was it particularly that you liked about that about the story or the book itself?
2: Well, so I studied comparative religion for my undergraduate degree at Hunter College in New York City, and I really always loved the fact that every culture, every person chooses a set of values that shape their lives. And Gilgamesh, for those who don't know, is the oldest story that we have in human culture, the oldest written-down story. It predates the Bible by a thousand years. It's from ancient Mesopotamia. It's a wonderful story that I encourage you to read, and I won't go into all the details. But what's amazing about this story is it's really the story of someone who has great power and has a great fault and has a life experience where he has a very close friendship and loses that friend and then goes out and seeks and tries to find out what is the meaning of his life? What does it mean to, to be in this life and to gain people close to you and to lose them and to overcome that? And so the reason why I like Gilgamesh is it really speaks to the human spirit and it speaks to me as an as an independent person and as an entrepreneur because, he, again, he was a doer, not a sayer. He had all the power in the world as the king of an ancient city. He could have sat by and just rested on his laurels. And instead, he said, there's something deeper here I need to look into. And he took this great adventure that, again, I won't get into because because it's so long and I would encourage people to read the story. But he took this great adventure, and in doing so, came to learn things about himself and about the world around him that shaped the rest of his life. So to me, it's a phenomenal story. It's been reflected in cultures throughout the world. And there's a reason why all religion students read it and why all ancient history students read it. And uh, as old as it is, I, I cannot recommend it enough to people to go back and read the oldest written human story that we have and see how it's carried through thousands of years to today and what it tells us about ourselves
1: Cool. Very interesting. Very interesting. Now, let me ask you this: I know from an entrepreneurial standpoint, you know, you're a little bit new to the game there, but you've been working with entrepreneurs for quite some time. So, um, as a leader, as a advisor in that role, what's one of the things that you would say one of your personal habits that's most contributed to your success?
2: Well, besides uh, be a doer, not a sayer, I think a personal habit that's important to me is being organized. My, my wife, Aliza, is very organized, super organized, and I am absolutely the opposite. I, by nature, am a procrastinator. I'm someone who will have papers all over the place. I'm someone who can flit from idea to idea, and only by forcing myself over time to learn the habit of organization have I been able to be successful. And so what I encourage all new companies is your model, your internal model of organization may not be the same as someone else's. You don't have to carbon copy another model of how they do calendar or to-do lists or tasks or those things, but you need to come up with a system that works for you because if you don't, you'll find that all the tasks that come with running a business and running your personal life and going after your personal goals, both the day-to-day, the things next week, the things next month, Everything will get jumbled in your head if you don't come up with a method of approaching all of those things. For me, my method has always been very simple. I'm electronic based, that's just my, my personality. I use a very clear calendar system, I use a to-do list, I review my emails every morning and go back to emails, not just for the last day, but for the last few days to make sure I haven't missed anything. But I again, I always tell entrepreneurs that are just starting out, you don't need to follow that system. Some people use note cards they keep in their pocket. Some people have a paper calendar to use. But if you don't have an organizational method, you will lose sight of things. And you can't be a doer, not a sayer, if you don't know what the things are you're supposed to do. It's only by doing tasks A, B, and C that you're going to get to Z. And when you skip steps, you can lose reputation, you can lose money, and you can lose the potential of reaching your, your full maximum.
1: You know, that is great information. And, you know, uh, a mentor of mine, Zig Ziglar, used to say, repetition is the mother of learning. And so I have heard that be a doer, not a sayer several times here. So I'm I'm highlighting it. I'm circling it on my notes. And uh, guys that are out there listening, I encourage you to do the exact same thing. Be a doer, not a sayer. And if you like what you're hearing here on the show, go back and reference it on AmbitiousRadio.com. We always put together show notes for our guests, and so just go to AmbitiousRadio.com, click on the listen button, and they'll have previous episodes there uh, right here on the Ambitious Radio Network.
0: When you start shopping for a car, you go in thinking that this time you're really going to get a great deal. Then the haggling starts. You have to fence with the salesman over the price, then verbally joust with the finance manager over the interest rate and all the extras they want to sell you. By the time you get out of there, you're glad to have escaped with your watch and rings. Stop the insanity. There's a better way. And that's to lease your next car from Autoflex Leasing. Call the leasing specialist at Autoflex and you'll find that getting your next car can be fast, easy, and fun. Your Autoflex specialist leases all makes and models, both new and used. They'll also pick up your trade-in for an appraisal and deliver your new car to your home or office. Imagine leasing your next car and never having to go to a dealer. Happens every day at Autoflex Leasing. To see for yourself, call Autoflex today at 817 or 972-234-1234 or reach them at autoflex.com. Autoflex Leasing, a better way to lease your next car. Back in here on the show. It's Ambitious Radio Network. Hey, are you thinking of expanding your business but don't want to spend tens of thousands of dollars on a new phone system? Consider Grasshopper.com. You get to keep your existing number, you have multiple extensions, voicemails transcribed, and no new hardware. Grasshopper.com is the entrepreneur's phone system. Let's get back to the show with Doug Parker.
1: All right, James, let's talk about Van Every Creden PLLC. So when you say intellectual property, you know, are you talking about like trademarks and patents and stuff like that?
2: Sure, <clears throat> sure. So there are four real divisions for intellectual property. There are trademarks, copyrights, patents, and trade secrets. And unfortunately, a lot of those things can get confused in people's minds. A copyright is basically when you come up with a piece of content – whether it's a picture that you've taken, a painting that you've painted, maybe a drawing that you've made, or perhaps something that you've written on your website, that's some, some something that you created, some content, and you put it into a fixed medium. It means it's not just in your head, it exists out in the world. Copyright is meant to protect those creativity, that creativity, those creative things that you actually produce in the world. Trademark is different from copyright. And that the entire purpose of trademark is to demonstrate to someone the source of a good or service. So the way that works is, the classic example, people always talk about the Nike swoosh. When you see that swoosh symbol, you know that whatever product has it has been approved by Nike and comes from Nike. And you don't need to see the word Nike. You don't need to know anything about the company. You just know that the shoes with the swoosh are from the same place that makes the shirt with the swoosh, that makes the hat with the swoosh. It's a thing that identifies the source of a good or service to the public. So a logo is the most common example of that. A patent is when you have an invention, a a new, useful, non-obvious invention that you create, and you want to protect that invention so that only you have the power to create it, to license it out to people, or to keep other people from using it. For example, if you create this brand new telephone, a brand new cell phone, that never existed before, that has a touch screen like Apple created with the iPhone, you can then get a patent on that. What that allows you to do is then for a period of protection, you can actually license that technology out to other people and keep other people from producing it if they don't want to properly license it from you. Hey, let and me ask you a quick question. Sure, let me, I'm course. sorry
1: to interrupt you there. So, so let's say that, and I'm not saying anything bad about the Chinese or anything, but let's say you get this great new, you know, you use the iPhone example. So you've invented it, you've gotten it, you've got a patent on it. Do you have to get worldwide patents or can you get a, Is it just in the United States? How does that work?
2: You do need to seek protection worldwide because the U.S. patent system applies to the United States economy and not to worldwide. But for all these types of intellectual property, there are international bodies that coordinate protection. And it's not as complicated as you may think. It's not as if you have to go to every individual country around the world and file individually in those countries. And an intellectual property attorney can work with you and say – Let's look at your current market where you need protection. Let's look at the zone, the regions of the world where you could reasonably expand into, and let's talk about the the cost-benefit ratio. Is it worth you applying for protection throughout the entire world? Or perhaps we just need to apply in Europe or Latin America. So a, a good attorney can work with you on that and determine whether it makes sense for you to apply to get global protection or just stay within the United States.
1: Gotcha. I just want to make sure because, you know, you, you hear about these folks that – um, they design something and then you know somebody rips them off or whatever the case is, and so or you send it over to China to produce it, and then all of a sudden you know your your intellectual property is stolen. And they're making it you know in the in the factory next door and selling them you know on Alibaba or whatever.
2: Sure, and of course one of the problems that comes up is it, a lot of my background is in litigation, which is when things go bad between businesses or between individuals and it has to be a lawsuit or there's movement towards a lawsuit and unfortunately one of the questions that often comes up with litigation is first of all is the fight worth the money and second of all even if we win technically do you have a real-world win for example even if you can say someone in China is copying your technology and you can get a win in the US courts and so perhaps you can keep them from importing those items into the United States Will you then be able to enforce that in China and keep them from selling the items in China? That's a much more complicated question. And so it's important to speak with someone who has familiarity not just with uh, intellectual property issues in the United States but around the world. It can help give you a sense of what's the expense you're actually looking at for the fight and will it be a true win or will you have spent the money to get a win on paper that you can't actually enforce in the real world.
1: Gotcha. Gotcha, gotcha. So I'm sorry to throw you off there a little bit. So there's a couple of different ones patent and then is it trade secrets that's next
2: right so trade secrets is the last one and the whole point of a trade secret is it's something that your company has that's valuable because it's not known by others the classic example is the formula for coca-cola coca-cola has never patented its formula it's never publicly disclosed what the formula is it has a secret proprietary formula that it uses to flavor its cola and very few people have access to that formula and the way the formula is actually put together physically is done in a way to protect the actual formula can you go out and reverse engineer it and come up with a soda that tastes exactly the same absolutely and there's nothing illegal in simply reverse engineering but a trade secret the reason why they haven't disclosed it is because they find more value from keeping it secret and properly applying protections to keep people from learning about it than from going out and disclosing it publicly and getting a patent because patent will only protect you for a certain period of time or is a trade secret is good as long as you can actively keep it secret. So those are the four main areas of intellectual property. And for most people who are listening to this program, the ones they're probably most concerned about are trademark and copyright. Patent's a very specialized area of the law. And while it may apply to some listeners, it primarily applies to those who are coming up with unique inventions, physical inventions, mechanisms, or sometimes types of software. And then trade secret is a, an area that can apply to your listeners but it really depends if they have things that they know in their mind are information that they need to keep secret and keep secret from others. A common example of that would be customer lists, for example.
1: Gotcha. Okay. Now, one other thing that I'll tell you it was really interesting. One of the uh, few books that I've that I've uh, read or listened to over the years that I went back in as soon as I got done with it, I, I wanted to listen to it again. And I actually did it two days. I would listen to the whole book in one setting. I could not set it down. And then listen to another, the, the very next day was a book by Gene Simmons called Me, Inc. And uh, if you haven't read that book before, uh, I had one, uh, you know, Gene Simmons from Kiss. Mm-hmm. I, I had a certain opinion of him, Just I just thought a certain way, and after listening to the book, it's a totally, totally different uh, opinion. But he mentioned, um, you know, when it comes to intellectual property, and he has like thousands of trademarks and all kinds of stuff that are related to kiss and all kinds of things and he was kind of the brains behind their whole operation over the years and he's an extremely conservative individual which you wouldn't think I just didn't associate that but one of the things he talked about was using uh, like a phrase for for instance that you're trademarking as um, in, in interstate commerce and so one of the ways that he recommended doing it if you come up with something like that is to Um, And it was kind of like the poor man's trademark is the way he explained it, I think. But basically, you just kind of like get a T-shirt printed with it on there and then have somebody buy it from out of state. It could be a relative or somebody do a do a receipt, ship it to them. And then you've used an interstate commerce so that you can go in and file your trademarks and those kinds of things. Now, is that something from a legal standpoint that you would advise or is that uh, what are your thoughts on that?
2: Well, I personally would not advise that from a legal st- standpoint. And, of course, everything's fact-specific. I'd have to learn more of the, of the specific facts. But the thing to keep in mind for trademark is that when you file for a trademark application, the person who's filing for the protection, not the attorney, but the actual person who'll own the trademark, has to sign a sworn statement saying that they actually are using that trademark in commerce, meaning that uh, if you just make a single shirt and sell it to a relative out of state and then don't use it again, I would question whether that's actual use of the trademark in commerce and also question whether you're showing ongoing use or whether you're just doing one use just to get into the trademark office. Now, that said, there's different ways you can approach trademark issues. For example, if you come up with a great brand, a great mark that you think you'd like to use, and you're not yet using it, you can file what's called an intent-to-use trademark application where you say to the trademark office, here's the mark I'd like to use, Here's the way I intend to use it. And once you grant my trademark application, I will begin using it within a six-month period. If for some reason six months go by and you haven't begun using it in commerce, you can file for an extension. And you can continue to file for an extension for a number of years. So you have time to sit on that trademark and wait. The only caveat is you have to actually have the intent to use it at some point. You can't just be sitting on it because you think it may be valuable to someone else down the road. The other thing is that use in commerce and inter- interstate commerce, especially now with the, with the use of websites, is not a very high standard to meet. Offering a service that's purely limited only to your, your local region, it's likely that the activities that you're doing will be covered by interstate commerce. And that's something you would want to talk to your attorney about. The biggest, one of the biggest mistakes that I see companies make is failing to get a trademark early on in the process. So when I meet a new entrepreneur who says, I'm going to launch my company, and uh, this is the idea I have, and these are the people I'm gathering, my first question is, well, what are you going to call the company? And what are you going to call your product or the service that you're offering? They, of course, always have an idea, and I say, well, have you yet sought out trademark protection? Because part of seeking out that protection is doing a search and finding out if someone else is using your name. What if you've chosen a great name that you think is perfect, and you sat down, you searched on Google for 20 minutes and didn't find someone, but then I can tell you there's an intent to use trademark application that's actually already been filed with the US Patent and Trademark Office. Those people who have filed that intent to use application could come down the road and stop you from using the name of your business because they've gotten ahead of you in line. So it's very important that early on entrepreneurs talk to an attorney about trademark protection and work with someone to decide what's a good brand for me to use that I know I can protect, I can grow with, and I won't find myself rebranding my company a year down the road.
1: You know, let's talk about that real quick because I actually have um, not personal experience for, for any of my companies, but I have a, uh, a person that um, was in business for something like five or six years, and he was doing business. He was, in I think, in, in Iowa. And somehow or another, there was another company that was in Atlanta, Georgia, and he gets this like cease and desist one day out of the blue. And he's like, what in the world is this? And had to change the name of his company, his whole brand, everything. And ultimately, I think he spent probably 10 or 20 grand initially trying to defend it and then found out in the end that he ultimately just had to change everything, his whole branding. And then he had a a previous business partner that was kind of still like a minority part of it. And then it got real screwy there. I mean, just all in all, it wound up being a real nightmare. And, you know, that's one of the things I had written down here to, to really ask you or to talk to you about was, you know, starting with the end in mind. I mean, putting really, uh, you know, folks in place and, and getting an attorney, an attorney involved really early because if you don't, you know, the reality is that you could be down the tracks and, and just through pure bliss and ignorance, you know, not doing anything deceptive, trying to use someone else's trademark, but inevitably you are. Now, are there any kind of tentacles where somebody can come back in and, and potentially uh, get any of the like let's say that you wind up having a company that did you know 10 20 million dollars in, in revenue could they have ties back in possibly to your um, for the use of, of, of that name if, if it was something that wasn't really related to their product but uh, somehow or another you were a super success they could get some money out of you
2: well if you certainly if you're infringing on someone's trademark they absolutely can get damages from you and they can get significant damages from you. At the end of the day, a business is responsible for looking at what trademarks have been registered in the Federal Trademark Registry and the state registry of where they're located. They're responsible for looking into those things prior to using a name. I've worked with people before, multi-million dollar companies that had been in business for a number of years and then found that someone else had a trademark that was sufficiently close to theirs that they were going to be on the losing end of a battle. <clears throat> and rebranding was not simply a matter of changing a website. There are vehicles involved that need to be rebranded. There's signage that needs to be changed, websites that need to be redesigned, business cards, t- t- uh, t- uniforms and shirts. Everything you can think of that goes into building a, building a brick-and-mortar company, all of that had to be changed simply because they failed to take the time at the beginning when choosing their name to actually do the work. And I think many people are surprised to learn that for the price of, a, of a, an Apple laptop, for example, for $1,500, you can do a fairly comprehensive search looking at every single state registry and the federal registry, looking at marks from the past and marks that are currently in use, going online and, and using online search tools to find out if there's companies that maybe haven't registered but they're in your area or in the same business. You can do a comprehensive search for a pretty small amount of money. and doing so... Will save you countless hours and thousands of dollars down the road. Unfortunately, many companies at the beginning are so focused on getting the business going, and in their mind, getting the business going is getting the the brick and mortar, getting the physical aspects in place, and then generating revenue. They don't account for a legal budget at the beginning. And the same thing, I'm sure many people will tell you the same thing happens with accountants. I have always said to an entrepreneur who I'll talk to, if you don't have an attorney you're talking to and an accountant you're talking to, you don't have the team you need to build your business. Now that doesn't mean you need to waste money on these people. I always say don't waste your money on lawyers. Your lawyer should be bringing you more value than you're paying. You should be happy to pay the amount you're paying to your attorney because they're bringing you so much value in terms of avoiding risk, providing guidance for your business, helping you to grow and develop, that you are happy to pay that invoice when it comes in. And The same thing's true for an accountant. If that's not the kind of person you're working with and you don't have that relationship, then you need to seek out a new relationship and find someone who you view as a partner with your business, not just for today, but going into the future who's going to help you grow and maximize your potential.
1: You know, that's that's a great point. And, and right after this break, we'll talk a little bit more about that, about a situation that I personally went through, uh, that if I'd had an attorney really involved in the beginning, it could have saved uh, basically about seven figures. So it was very, very significant. But we'll, uh, we'll tune into that right after the break. This is great stuff for our ambitious listeners. We'll be right back right after this.
0: And we're back in here on the show. It's Ambitious Radio Network, recharging the ambitious mind, body, and spirit made possible by RepairMyCreditNow.com. You know, having bad credit can be really draining. It's okay to not be okay as long as you're on the road to being okay. Let RepairMyCreditNow.com help get you back on track. You know, many of our ambitious listeners prefer to listen to books as opposed to reading them. Now, with that, we've teamed up with Audible.com to offer you one free audiobook. Just go to AmbitiousRadio.com, click on the Audible banner on the page to find out more. Back to the show now with Doug Parker.
1: All right, talking to James Creedon today on Ambitious Radio. Welcome back from the break. How are you, sir?
2: I'm doing grand. Thank you.
1: Good, good, good. Well, let's talk about some of the ambitious things that you've got going on and some of the advice. Um, you know, when we right before the break, we had talked uh, a little bit about some of the things that can really cost you a lot of money, and I'd mentioned a, a situation that I ran into and, you know, our business was very rapidly expanding with, with one of them about 15 years ago. We ultimately were on the Inc. 500, 5000 list as one of the uh, fastest growing private health companies in America. And we just had a model that was working and, and we didn't really, uh, we felt like we were compliant with all the different laws. But there was a state law and a federal law. And it seemed like we were, you know, we were compliant with both of them. We were aware of them. But there was a situation where there was a slight conflict. And, um, we, you know, just kind of used our own, you know, looking at it and saying, Hey, I think we're okay. We didn't get an attorney's advice, but through that process, we ultimately spent about $800,000 litigating a case and then ultimately settled it for about $400,000. So somewhere in the neighborhood of about $1.2 to $1.5 million of total expenses when it was all said and done. And a lot of lost opportunities and lost sleep and things that will never get back again. So, um, you know, that's just my personal advice is that anything that I do now, I bounce it off my attorney. And, and it very well may cost me, you know, whatever they bill per hour, you know, a few hundred bucks or whatever. But when you look at three or four hundred bucks as opposed to three or four hundred thousand, it's it's really great to start with the and then mine. And that's just my personal experience. And um, so let, let's let's talk a little bit. You know, we we did touch on a CPA, we we touched on having an attorney, but what else uh, am I leaving off there? Are there any other uh, folks that you might recommend, kind of for your team to have at you know within an arm's length distance away from you?
2: Well, I think those are the two most important people to have, and, and the reason why is because they have the technical knowledge that perhaps you don't have. And, and okay. again, I, as an attorney, I work with a ton of smart people, very very smart people, people who are far smarter than I am, who have fantastic business savvy, understand the market, understand how to build a business. They are absolutely the experts in what they're doing. But they don't have the technical knowledge that I have as an attorney, just as there's technical knowledge they have that I don't have. And the issue is, the reason why you bring on an attorney, the reason why you bring on a CPA, is not just because they have the technical knowledge, but also because it's more worth your time to have them have already learned it and then come to you and bring that to the table than for you to learn it all on your own and the great thing about a good attorney and a good accountant is that they view themselves as an educator they're not just there to come in and give you an answer and walk away the goal is to educate you so that the first time for example if you ask me about filing for a trademark application when you walk away you won't simply have a trademark application filed you'll understand the types of applications what their value are why it is you you'd want one over the other, what the benefits are, what the negatives are, what the costs are, and then the next time the decision comes up, it's a much smoother process for you. These professionals who you work with need to be educators. The only other people I, I would think of, it depends on what level the business is at. For example, if you're a very uh, new entrepreneur, you've never started a business before, it might be worthwhile to speak with someone who specializes in developing business plans maybe through your local chamber of commerce or maybe through an entrepreneurship center like the works here in McKinney, you can meet up with people who have a specialty in developing business plans and can help shorten that process for you, provide some coaching and help walk you through the stages of how do you lay down the vision of your business on paper such that you can get clarity of mind, you can know what your next steps are, and when you go out and seek investment or loans or even seek to just put the business plan into practice, you now have a clear grid, a clear approach that you can use.
1: Gotcha. Now, let me ask you this. So there's different types of entities. Now, do you, if you're advising uh, a company and you know, I know you specialize in intellectual property, but do you also talk to them about like LLCs or S-Corps or C-Corps mm-hmm. or whatever? I mean, I what's what the heck is a PLLC?
2: So, a PLLC is a profession, it's an LLC that's set up for professionals. It's a very specific kind of entity that's set up here in Texas. And my partner, Kathy, works with clients all the time to establish their, help them work through the questions of what kind of entity should you have because there are legal issues to it, there are tax issues to it, and of course, it's just the day to day operations of it. It's very different when someone says, I'm going to have a company, it's going to just be me. First, I'm going into business with a partner. First, I'm going into business with a number of people. It's also very different based upon what your exit strategy is. As you know, with the tech boom, a common exit strategy now is people want to build their company, build a proof of concept, and then quickly sell it off to other people. They want to start it, grow it, and sell it. You may want a different entity for that than for something you expect you'll have for the long term. The same thing's true if you think you might be just in one state versus actually expanding your company nationally. So, it's important to go through those questions and think through which entity fits you best. Now, I will address one common misconception that comes up all the time, and I think it's important your listeners know this. There's a common misconception that having an entity protects you from any liability for what happens in your company. And I just spoke the other day to a group of people who, who said that to me. They said, well, I'm forming an LLC because I know that if I do something wrong, no one can get to my personal assets. And I'm not sure where that common fallacy began, but it's important for people to realize that nothing protects you from your own negligence. If you truly do something that's wrong, if you truly defraud somebody, if you truly do something that's clearly outside the norms of what's permissible, then simply having an entity will not protect you from liability. The real purpose of an entity is to limit your liability for normal things that happen in business, and also to limit your liability for what your partners may be doing. So, for example, if you're in a business with a partner, and they engage in some sort of misconduct that you are not aware of, there's risk to them for their personal assets, there's risk to the business for its assets, which much more difficult for someone to then go through the entity and get to you.
1: Gotcha. And if maybe they, if they had done something in another entity not involved in that one, it might it just kind of provides another level of protection for you, kind of?
2: That's right. That's right. Okay. And it's, gotcha. and, that, and that's why it's important to speak with someone who's familiar with different entities and can tell you, here are the protections that you have. Here's how they're viewed in the state that you're in. Here's how they're viewed by investors and by banks. And to give you a sense of what, what best fits your vision.
1: Okay, fantastic. Well, I'll tell you what, Ambitious Times, You know, after hearing a brief word from our sponsors, we'll be right back discussing more with James, what he does to recharge his ambitious body, mind, and spirit right here on the Ambitious Radio Network.
0: Here's another RepairMyCreditNow.com story. Home ownership. It's the American dream. It's a goal you've always hoped to achieve. You've spent countless weekends looking for the perfect house on the ideal block. The rates are low, and you've saved enough for the down payment. Unfortunately, now the mortgage company says there's a little hitch. Okay, let's be honest. It's a gigantic, gargantuan hitch. It's your credit. And it looks like your estimated house payment will be (laughs) a lot more.
1: repairmycreditnow.com.
0: Repairmycreditnow.com. www.repairmycreditnow.com. As we get back into the show, let's give a shout out to our great sponsors, all3reports.com. That's all, the number three reports with an s.com. You know, many people check their credit every three to five years when they're financing a home or maybe when they're purchasing a new vehicle, but if there is an issue, it could be too late to do anything about it. So go to all3reports.com to find out more. Speaking of a new vehicle, a wise person once said, lease what depreciates, buy what appreciates. So go to Autoflex Leasing. They offer a better way to lease your next car. America's largest independent leasing company is Autoflex Leasing. Doug?
1: All right, today we're talking with James Creedon of Van Every P PLLC. We just found out what PLLC stood for in the last segment. And, you know, we're gonna, we've been real serious. We've been talking about a lot of important stuff that if you're an entrepreneur or a business owner, that how you structure your entities and trademarks and all kinds of intellectual property type things. But now we're going to kind of just slow it down a little bit because he also is an entrepreneur. So we're going to know just kind of a, a little bit. About James. So James, let's just kind of, what do you do to recharge? I mean, I know you're you're a hard charging guy. So when you run out of juice, what do you do to kind of to get back uh, on track?
2: Well, I'll I'll tell you. My daughter is sick, and she was up all night long, and I was tired from work, and I was tired from being up all night long. And I woke up this morning, and I said, What am I going to do to make myself feel good today? And I did what I try to do most days. I went to CrossFit. I'm a big fan of CrossFit, physical fitness. I used CrossFit to train up for Ranger School in the Army, to train up for Airborne School. It got me through all of those schools with flying colors, and it's a thing that really keeps me energized. Being with other people who care about physical fitness, who are out, they want to move their bodies, it helps relieve stress, it helps relieve anxiety, it keeps you healthier, more flexible overall, and for me, it's just a time where I almost get into a meditative state. All I need to focus on is the thing I'm doing that's right in front of me. I don't have to worry about the business. Or about what's happening with my family, or about what's going to happen in a year. I have a task in front of me. I have a group of people around me focused on the same task. We all go into it together. And so I found CrossFit and physical fitness is by far the best thing to recharge me.
1: Gotcha, gotcha. That makes uh, that makes perfect sense. And, you know, eating right and, and, and being healthy, uh, those are all great things. Now, where do you go to, you know, do you have a favorite place you like to vacation, or is there... Um, I see that you like to hike, but is there a specific place you like to go?
2: Well, we're relatively new to Texas. We've been here for uh, about a year and a half, and so uh, I've hiked quite a bit. Uh, My favorite place I've hiked so far is pretty far from where I live. It's uh, Guadalupe Peak out in West Texas. It's the tallest peak in Texas. I went out for a solo camping trip for a few nights. Great trip for anyone who can make it out there. It's, again, the highest mountain in Texas. It's an old coral reef from when Texas was covered with the ocean, it's a desert, uh, and it's a beautiful place to go. But in terms of spending time with my family, we just like to go tent camping, so we'll go locally to the state parks here in Texas and try a different park each time we go camping. My daughter's just old enough now that she's fine being in the tent, and my son has been hiking with me since he was, uh, wasn't was even able to walk, and I'd, I'd carry him on my shoulders. So to me, being out in nature, surrounded by trees, getting some fresh air and some open sky, that to me is the best place to go, and that that when people say what refreshes you spiritually, what does it for me is being out in nature, just taking a break, turn off the cell phone, close the computer, stop the distractions, and just focus on what's in front of you.
1: Gotcha. Now that makes that makes perfect sense. Now, work life balance. I heard you talk about your kiddos. You've talked about your wife. So, do you are you able? Do you feel like you're able to have the work life balance? And has that changed? Uh, in the last few months now that you're in that entrepreneurial mode?
2: It it absolutely has changed. I I always have been and always will be family first. Family is the first thing for me. It comes before anything else. There's no point for me to build a, a business and be successful and be financially successful if I'm not there with my kids and with my wife spending quality time together. So to me, it's always family first. But as you know full well, I'm sure many of the listeners know, when you're starting a business, you need to put in 200% of your time and energy. So my commitment to my family is I will be home for dinner with the entire family four times a week. So four work, week, four work days I will be home, and the fifth I can go out, I can work late, I can do the other things I need to do. And then when the kids go to sleep, I go back to work. So I have a home office and I will just work away to get the things done that I have to do. But that that period, that 5.30 to 8 each night, I spend with my kids, put down the phone, close the computer, don't focus on work, spend the time with my family. Because my kids will only be kids for so long, and my wife has made a life commitment to be with me, and the least that I owe her is to give her quality time every day, give her attention, and let her know that she's the top priority in my life and that business comes second.
1: You know, that's a that's a, a fantastic uh, way that you just put that. And I'm, I'm glad I've uh, asked you that because a lot of people just kind of give some kind of meh answer like, oh, yeah, I believe in life-work balance, and then that's kind of it. But that four out of five days, you're there from 530 to 8. And the reality is, you know, right now the season is that you're um, having to work a little harder and do a little more. So you may have to, to, to hunker down from 8 to 10 or 11 or 12 o'clock at night, but 530 to 8, at least four out of the five work nights a week, is uh, precious time, and and uh, you're you're at home for that. So that's a that's a great way to balance it out. And I've not heard anyone articulate it that way before. So so congrats to you and, and the family on that. Having that um you know that that already kind of put in place. That's that's great 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 stuff. Now let me ask you this: from our ambitious listeners, if they wanted to engage with you, and if you had a request of them, um you know, or they had a, a question for you, how's the best way for them to engage with you?
2: Well, they can always visit our <clears throat> visit our website at vaneverycreden.com and I'm sure that will be in the show notes. They're welcome to call me anytime they want or email me directly. I'm always happy to have a courtesy call with people, try to identify what their issues are, and see if if we can help them. And what we pride ourselves on is that if we can't help you, we will find someone who can. We'll refer you to someone who we trust, who we've worked with, who we think can help you with your issue. Because at the end of the day. We all want to build our businesses and be successful, and the way we all get value for ourselves and for others is by being generous with our time and generous with our resources.
1: Gotcha. Okay, that, that's, that makes perfect sense. Now, um, just kind of a little silly little thing. Do, do, you, have a favorite, do you have a favorite movie or, or any kind of way that you just kind of decompress other than the exercising?
2: Uh, well, I like to read the New Yorker magazine. That's the uh, my, my wife can't stand it. She says it's too long. It's too boring. Uh, I read the New Yorker. I've been reading it since, I mean, for decades now. And so, when I really have free time and the kids are asleep and I have a little bit of time, I sit back and I read. I just like to relax. <clears throat> and really, I'm a big fan of anything related to science. So I read a lot of articles related to science, related to space. I've always been interested in technology, and so that—that's where my interest really is.
1: Gotcha, gotcha. Now, the New Yorker magazine. For those who aren't familiar with it, what's uh, is it? Is it about New York, or what is it <clears throat> specifically that, that's entertaining to you or No, it's
2: magazine? it's. Uh, I, I always call it it's long form writing. So that, that's why my wife doesn't like it. The articles are very, very long. So you you'll get an article about what's going on with Cuba right now, and it'll just be pages and pages and go on to all these interesting details about the people behind what's happening, the historical information. Uh, All the politics are involved, maybe facts you wouldn't find out anywhere else. So you really need to have some patience. You need to be the kind of person who likes to dig in a little. It's the exact opposite of reading a blog post. It's articles that will go on for pages and pages.
1: I'm glad you brought that up because I was like, maybe I'll check that out. And I'm like, hey, just give me like five bullet points of what's in those 12 pages and I'll be good.
2: You would not like it. Yeah. <laughs> <I'm> on the <laughs> other
1: end of that spectrum, That's right. well, I tell you what, I, I really appreciate you coming on. I think that uh, you really gave a lot of of uh, nuggets that could really, really help save an entrepreneur or, or a new business owner or even an existing business owner from major uh, catastrophic situations. And you just go in and implement and building that team, putting stuff together. And if you don't have a team of a CPA and an attorney and those types of things, highly recommend you know whether it's James and his team or someone else. Reach out and, and get a team put together to help prevent yourself from from getting into one of those bear traps like I stepped into a few years ago. I mean, that really can just suck the life out of you. And it's no fun to be an entrepreneur whenever you're shelling out, you know, 10, 20 grand a month for four or five years straight. Um, that is no fun so anyway tune in on Wednesdays uh, to Ambitious Radio where we interview thought leaders and exciting entrepreneurs that are changing the faces of their organizations remember you can make money or you can make excuses but you cannot make both so go out there and be ambitious
0: Thank you for listening to the Ambitious Radio Network hosted by serial entrepreneur Doug Parker Join us weekly as we have engaging conversations with ambitious entrepreneurs and thought leaders on topics that can be applied immediately after listening. Like what you've heard? Listen to other interviews at ambitiousradio.com or subscribe on iTunes.